Pushkin. Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you, who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. member, FDIC. Copyright 2024, J.P. Morgan, Chase & Co. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. I knew that I was a creative person because I lived in my head a lot. I daydreamed a lot. I imagined people's lives a lot. I would just look at a person. I'd look at every detail about them, how they walked, how their expression was, the shoes they were wearing, this and that. And I would imagine their love life, what their apartment smelled like. You came into this life with this juggernaut of whatever you are, but sometimes these creative mechanisms were survival mechanisms. That was Juliette Lewis. I'm Sam Fragoso, and this is Talk Easy. Welcome to the show. I'm Sam Fragoso. This is Talk Easy. I hope whoever you are, wherever you are, you're safe and sound and taking care of yourself and others. I'd like to assume if you're listening, you're indoors. For those of you who must work away from home right now, thank you for doing what many of us cannot and would not. Uh, from the hospital workers to the grocery store clerks, I suspect you're a little too busy to be listening to this podcast. But nevertheless, Thank you. If you are a young person who believes they are immune, please go back inside uh, and do what you normally do. TikTok until your heart's content. I promise it will be okay. As you can probably tell by that last sentence, I just learned what TikTok was. Don't worry about it. Let's just move on. It's a strange time to be doing a podcast, especially one like ours. But here we are. Ten days ago, I recorded this conversation with actress Juliette Lewis. It feels like 10 years ago now. I can't tell if time is moving slow or fast or if I've just been watching way too much Columbo. It's probably the Columbo. Anyway, you've likely been watching Juliette for years now. She came to prominence in the early 90s with films like Natural Born Killers, Cape Fear, What's Eating Gilbert Grape, Basketball Diaries, From Dusk Till Dawn, Basically, if there was a good film made in the 90s, Juliet was probably in it. And it's here where our episode begins, in this strange period where Juliet starts working and uh, has to navigate life as a teenager while building a career in movies. If you're new to the show because of last week's episode, uh, that was a conversation I had with Dr. Ashish Jha, the director of the Harvard Global Health Institute. I want to welcome you here to the podcast. We don't typically have long-form conversations with medical experts, 
but we do have long-form conversations. As we continue making the show in this moment where this virus has radically impacted all of our lives, we're going to do our best to stay with you, to alternate between timely conversations with health experts and journalists and authors with episodes like this one, with Juliet. She's an actor in some of the most vital pieces of film and television over the past 30 years. And yet, as you'll hear, we try to have a different dialogue that's a little more reflective. And it's my hope with this show to offer some light this week and the next and however long this thing goes on for. Everything feels precarious and scary and uncertain right now. So we're going to try to keep doing this with you, for you, every Sunday. It certainly helps me feel more sane to do it, and I hope it makes you feel just a little more sane listening to it. So without further ado, here is Juliette Lewis. Juliet Lewis. Hi. How are you feeling? I'm like a lot of days we're surviving. This is we, the collective we. Holy shit. There's a lot going on. Can I go back to something that got you through a moment in your life? I wanted to actually start the whole podcast here. Oh, God. There's a song that means a great deal to you. Yeah. And I uh, just wanted to listen to it together. Oh, I know what it's going to be. Do you really? Yes. She's got everything she needs. She's an artist. She don't look back. She's got everything she needs. She's an artist. She don't look back. She can take the dark out of the nighttime and paint the daytime black. Start out standing Proud to steal her anything she sees You will start out standing Proud to steal her anything she sees But you will wind up peeking Through her keyhole down upon your knees She never stumbles She's got no place to she never stumbles, she got no place to fall. She's nobody's child, the law can't touch her at all. I love it how much power he's giving this woman. And I needed to hear that when I heard this song. How did you know I was going to play that song? Well, because I had mentioned it recently. I mentioned a few songs out loud that are very key songs. Because sometimes music I'll listen to obsessively. It's probably not fully natural. Um, <laughs> I do it. I do it too. Yeah. Okay. Good. Uh, if, if You're I, a fellow tweaker with music. If I like a song, it will play 300 times in a day. It'll yeah. just be looped, and then roommates will say, "Please, we're begging you. <laughs> I, I know you like Stevie Wonder, but you need to stop. It's psychotic, <laughs> and I just—it's good for writing for me, and yeah. and, it, and it's good for mental stability. Yeah. Where were you at? when this song came into your life and really oh meant God. something? I was 22. It was such a turning point. I was finally facing the the overwhelm of, what's this, what's the metaphor of being on a train that's not stopping, of success that I didn't understand. Just in the movie business. Like, there was a run there from 19 to 21 where I worked with the auteurs is it auteurs yeah that's right ah, the great American cinema of our time the greatest directors I wrote this down this exact thing down there and, was, and I wrote auteurs down because you have you know uh, Oliver Stone Martin Scorsese Woody Allen 
all in a period. Mm-hmm. And it's fascinating. Lassa Holstrom, who had just done My Life as a Dog. Uh-huh. No, no, no. Was it My Life as a mm-hmm. Dog? He was the special. So he did What's Eating Gilbert Grape. You know, and then there's people in between where the movies didn't hit. So like Nora Ephron, I worked with her and Steve Martin. That was a comedy I did right after Natural One Killers. Mixed Nuts. Yeah, that wasn't successful. But to me, I was trying to do what I love is character work and not, you know, different genres I like to live in. Now, at the same time, I was 19. (laughs) <laughs> 19, 20, yeah. 21, whatever that is for anybody, but they're huge growth periods. And um, the responsibility of that kind of, um, what's the word? Maybe attention? Yes, thank you. That kind of attention, the thing about, and you'll hear other people talk about fame, I lost my anonymity in that time, is... Um, is it'll exacerbate anything that's sitting within you. It'll t- blow it up. So Anything that's dormant. Yes. So if you have, if you, like some people who turn mean with it, maybe they were, someone was mean to them in childhood, and so they're becoming the thing that oppressed them. I don't know. We could get deep in that. But a lot of people, normal people, feel undeserving. You feel unworthy. Um, undeserving, kind of a why me? And you, and the good thing about my family didn't like my parents were so lovely. My dad, who's also an actor, never changed. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Because uh, uh, people change around you too, because they don't know how to deal with this attention now for their new, their friend. It, it's it's odd. Did you feel unworthy? Um. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I didn't I didn't know what to do with it cuz in my greatest wish I would be a healer, like if I could be a healer. And again, these things come from childhood. Maybe there was something you couldn't heal or you wanted to fix something, you know, at all. But um but also in art um there's can be a really like when I listened to The Cure when I was young, even though that's like brooding and melancholy and dark there's a synthesis of emotion that was so powerful. The Cure, Disintegration, that record for me was was my record during a time. Mm-hmm. Um, so my thing is, even if you do dark movies or art, it can be, it's that thing where people get out of themselves. So I was aware of the benevolent qualities of being an artist, but I had no capacity to heal anything within myself or understand. I was really uh, not able to articulate myself too. I think communication is so key to even deal with emotion. Right. I wasn't a communicator of emotion. I was just a young girl. I mean, maybe some young girls can talk about themselves. I could not. I was not this way. Were you quiet? Yeah, I was um, super, (laughs) I guess you'd use the word brooding. I... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I was super brooding. It's hard to imagine you as brooding. No, I know, because well, I've been where I could s- sort of process and articulate myself and my experiences now. I'm 46, so, so I had to have learned something. <laughs> Thank God. Um, but no, at the time, I was super internal, internalized. And yeah, and then I I did get stuck with drugs, which was it's a terrible recipe when someone is in pain or retreated or introverted. It's just the most worst thing. Most worse, not English. Um, we, thing. Can do, we can do a take two. No, this is all my bad grammar is part of who I am. Good. Um, no, it's just the worst thing. So at 22, I quit uh, drugs. Right. And meaning just self-medication, period. You know, I started as an avid pot smoker, morning, noon, and night, that kind of thing. And I was always trying to like, no, but I should be good and I should be straight and I should be able to deal with my emotions. But I just couldn't. You know, when I read about those years of your life, the first thing I think of is what I was like at 17, 18, 19, 20. And uh, I think it's true of most people. They're really challenging years. You're changing every three months. Yeah. You're a radically different person. Yes. If you go away to college or you go away at all, you probably have some freedom for the first time. You try drugs. Most people do, or at least most people I knew who went to school did. And 
you had to do all of that in <laughs> conjunction with being in a movie directed by Martin Scorsese and acting opposite of De Niro. You know, I just can't imagine being 18 and you're like, <sighs> okay, so here's a career and also here's being a person that's doing drugs because you're 18 and trying shit. And also, by the way, by the time you turn 19, you're going to be someone else. All of that. And you're learning to pay your rent. And oh, I didn't even add that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But, but and the thing with those movies, because I had a real organic or what's it or pure connection to my job. It was like, cool, here's my job. And I'm going to do really good in this scene today. You know, I'd like psych myself up for things, prepare. So that's the that relationship was really interesting and special, my, create, my creative work. And then outside, though, there's pressures, because I was an oddity. I wasn't, I wasn't fame. I wasn't even like straight fame. I don't even know what you'd call it. I was like the, the weird one, you know what I mean? So, so I was- She uh, was the strange <laughs> fame is what we call it. I, yeah, well, I was the great sabotager because I had these opportunities. I had like a Vogue cover try, sabotage it. I was just, I hated, <laughs> I hated the importance How place. did you sabotage that? I'll tell you. Wait, but what, uh, very quickly, wait, what was it? Oh, I was trying to say that I slowly got the pressure how important it was to behave and function well. Like when I got nominated for an Oscar, mm -hmm. I wish someone would have sat me down and go, this is how this works. The studio is going to launch a campaign. They're going to take out ads. They're very thrilled their stars are being recognized in their film. So they're going to, you know what I mean? So it'd be helpful if you walk the walk for the team. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know that. I was still trying to go, well, who am I? I'm just trying to be me, and this is false. Like, you're, you're, um, you know the Fiona Apple speech when she, she was 19? Uh -huh. And she accepted an award, and she was like, this is fake. Find your own truth, you know, she, as she's getting an award. But that's, that. there's those people who react that way, and then there's other young people who are just conditioned for mm -hmm. showbiz. I don't know. I'm That's not, terrifying. Oh, yeah. it's terrifying, and it's more often the case today, but you see people sort of reclaiming their mental health and this and that later on because they realize, oh, shit, I've sort of lost myself in, right. this, in this machine. I molded myself for the assembly line, and now when I'm on the other side of it, I have no personality and no distinct features. That's it. And you're like, who, who am I? And that's where you go on journeys and go hiking and you really take the time in stillness. How did you botch this whole Vogue thing? Oh, that's hilarious. Okay, so again, some of, they're telling me magazines were important. I was like, magazines? Like, who, who gives a fuck about being on the <laughs> cover of a magazine? Again, not what I grew up conditioned. I had this odd non-conditioning. You know, if anything, my parents... And it's something I I relish now is their ability to revolt against the man. Like my mom, we were brushing our teeth with baking soda when we were kids because she was hip to fluoride. Mm -hmm. Growing up, I was knew fluoride was put in our water by the government. So my mom, you know what I'm saying? Her health, even the health had a politic. Um, where am I? Uh you were saying you land at the shoot oh my god so the vogue shoot they said this is a cover try and i was like what, what a what's a cover try oh i resented it do you listen to it it's like we don't want to give you the cover we're gonna you're gonna do a shoot and, ah. and then we'll decide it's an audition yeah if you'll be on the cover then they do this with some magazines how i sabotage it i picked a photographer just that I was comfortable with, that I had worked with before, that's clearly not really Vogue cover material. Mm -hmm. So I was always like trying to pull my own way and Anna Winter came by the shoot. Oh, and then the other sabotages, I wouldn't wear any of the clothes the stylist recommended. I would just go super goofy. And my style even early on was sort of an anti-style. In any case, Anna Winter came by and I don't think she, she was like this, this girl's not Vogue cover material, <laughs> I'm sure. I didn't make it. You know, I think you ended up all right. I wrote down something you said um, earlier today when I was preparing. Um, in this period, 
the thing that fascinates me that I keep going back to is that there is such uh, a juxtaposition between the interior lives of your characters mm. that are fully formed, dynamic, interesting people. And then on the outside, the exteriors of your own day-to-day life. Yeah. What was the balance like between those two in that time? Well, that's the thing is I was so trying to find I didn't have a routine and any artist actor usually that early on you're just discovering your conviction your passion your dedication what you have to give in your work so it becomes all about that discovery so that when you're not working you're not developing as a human being um, you know, social skills or whatever. I wasn't anyway. I have friends of that time who like nurtured relationships, who they worked with. I didn't even nurture working relationships. It was weird. I was such a loner. It was really from how I grew up. I was just, I was kind of a loner. That's the one thing I regret. And later on after like I took care of myself and I didn't take things for granted as much, my working experiences. And I, you know, you learned that the quality of life is how much you engage with others or checking in and caring about the world around you and other people, not just your own, you know self-imposed this sort of narcissism it's a reverse narcissism even though it could be self-loathing i was just talking to my brother about it there's two spectrums of being Uh self-obsessed there's the egocentric i am the greatest and this that and then there's the other like i'm nothing and nobody and all my problems you know that thing so it's like how do you just get out of that and just connect with people i but i forgot what you just asked you answered it perfectly Wow. You do this thing, though, and I've, I noticed it even uh, in the Marin episode you did. Yeah. That you'll answer something, you'll actually give a very interesting dynamic answer, and then you'll get to the end of it and you'll say, I don't know if I even answered your question. <laughs> I was wondering, why do you do that? I don't know. Well, because in doing this, I want to do the thing that we've agreed to sit down and do, which yeah. is kind of an interview and you ask me questions. But along the way, I think the way my brain works, thing, so many things are linked up. Yeah, it feels like pinball in some yes. ways. Yes. Well, it feels like that in my mind. Does it? Very much pinball. Looking back on it, do you feel like you took that patch of time for granted? Like those opportunities for granted? Yes. Oh, my God. Well, for instance... You're just in it. You don't know to the relish every second, like Cape Fear. Right. I would have been up when when Marty Scorsese was up. If I just sat next to him, I would have watched everything he did just because I, I want to direct this movie I wrote. You know what I mean? I would have gleaned more. Is it glean? Yeah. Diamonds. Were you surprised when that happened? What happened? When you got that role. No, I'll tell you, the role getting, no, I wasn't. I was like, give me the freaking role already because it took a very long time mm-hmm. because I kept auditioning. So by the time I got it, I was like, ugh. Finally. Finally. Jeez, well, how many hoops do I have to run through for you people? It was this kind of youthful, I joke, my youthful um, cockiness in my ability worked for me, thank goodness. Meaning I hadn't seen Taxi Driver. I think I finally watched Goodfellas before I did the thing. My point is, I didn't know to be intimidated or that I was working with the greats of cinema. You're just in it when you're a kid and older people say, you know, this is all going to whip by and you're going to be old soon, you know, enjoy. It's the same when you're. I was in summer camp. I didn't know... I was going to wake up one day and miss my childhood, Mm -hmm. that I can't go to summer camp anymore. I I did. I had a dream about it. That's when I knew my youth was over. Is that true? (laughs) Yes. I had a very vivid dream when I was 20. It was during that time, maybe 22, where I woke up in the dream. I was trying to convince the camp counselors that I could still be a camper. Um, I I went to this sleepaway camp called Riverway Ranch Camp. And the counselors are like, mm, maybe you could be 
a camp counselor, but you you can't be a buckaroo. They named each department with kids. There was like the rancheros, the buckaroos. I was like, what? Wait, a camp counselor? You mean the older people? So the whole dream was me trying to convince them I could still go to summer camp. And I woke up really like, holy shit, I can't go to summer camp? Like, it was literally a funny revelation. It was hilarious. You can't be a buckaroo. <laughs> the earnestness in which you said that. No. And, like, do the weaving. We did the arts and crafts with a stick, and you weave this yarn, and we did archery. It was just the best summer camp ever, yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, and took it for granted, meaning now I became an obsessive picture taker, not just because it's on our phones, but because... I didn't even save. This is the biggest thing that upsets me. I didn't save my Cape Fear scripts with my notes on it. I didn't save Natural Born Killers when I wrote a scene on a hotel note paper. You know what I mean? I didn't know. You don't have any of it. No. And I remember cleaning, thinking I'm doing a good thing by cleaning out my room or whatever. I'm like, uh, not knowing these would be gems in my lifetime. Things you'd want to keep. Creative gems, yes. Special creative moments. Now you can. Yeah. Your father was an actor in so many films and done television shows. What was his response to what was happening when your career was taking off? Because I know you said uh, once that he was a, a man of contradictions, that as he entered midlife, he started collecting knives, but he actually started out in modern jazz dancing. And so he's yeah. someone who was so <laughs> multifaceted. So <laughs> Ah, my dad is so strange. He probably is finding himself or not even finding himself. He's, well, reinventing. I don't know. Um, but did he see that you were having a hard time? Me. Oh, so at this time, this is very much when you leave home and you don't, you know, you're not that connected to your parents. But my dad, of all his kids and not just me, is always proud of anything they do. I think his kids are like his favorite people. And with me, yeah, he knew I was going through a hard time. I mean, I let him know. And I think he, you know, wouldn't know how to help. But we had different times where he's tried to help me in my young life. And I tried to help him later in life as well, as we do with our parents when it when the roles reverse. But, yeah, I'm trying to think of specific times. You know, I was just, like, working and then in relate my relationship and home and this. Um, but, yeah, he, would, he was definitely there when I needed him most. Mm. At 15, uh, I believed you left home yeah. and moved in with actress Karen Black, who's incredible. Uh, in thinking about her and this period of your life, I wanted to watch this clip with you. Uh, it's Karen delivering a monologue in the film The Great Gatsby from 1974. I was on a train to New York to see Catherine spend the night. And Tom was sitting opposite me. He had on a dress suit and patent leather shoes. And I could see he was a real gentleman. I couldn't keep my eyes off him. Every time he looked at me, I had to pretend to be looking at the advertisement over his head. When we pulled into the station, he was next to me. And his white shirt front was pressed against my arm. I said, well, I'll have to call a policeman. But he knew I was lying. I was so excited. When I got into the taxi, my head was swimming. I felt as if some very tiny, cold little fish was swimming in my veins. All I kept thinking was, thinking you can't live forever you can't live forever 
That was from 46 years ago. Uh, and I think I'm, I'm just curious, where do you see Karen's influence on you today? I know. It's so funny. As you grow, I can't explain it. I want to draw like circular diagrams in mm-hmm. front of you. But the cyclical aspect of life or the cycles and um, the seeds that are planted early on that you're like, oh, that's that thing that comes back now, around. Yeah, yeah, it's coming back. And if you're hip to it or you're mindful of it, you can sort of catch the wave and sort of get some revelation. But Karen, for me, I didn't know it at the time that if you just took us and we didn't know each other, I very much would be the, I don't know, the word spawn is very, why am I saying that? Is that not larva? That's a terrible word. I mean, you guys are kindred spirits. Yeah, I would I would be the daughter of her style. It's just, it's really individual. But there's a few people I do feel like that, and I don't didn't necessarily know them in childhood. But Karen is special because there was a time in my life, because people ask me if, I went to school and this and that. And and there are key moments in my life where I was learning the craft, so to speak. And there was a moment, I did discuss this somewhere, but where we were playing charades and I felt like Karen anointed me. <laughs> it's very much this moment because she, I made something up. I was doing an improv and then she went, oh my God, Julie. You know, like this fantastical, and I'm like 10. And the way she's reacting was, it made me feel, you know, in Snow White when, or no, Cinderella, when all the little, and you have like a big ball gown. Her reaction to me made me go, what? Do I possess a gift? And what is this gift, you know? But she very much gave me that discovery or that feeling. Did she talk to you about what it's like to do this as a job and a life? No, that's the thing I didn't get. I also probably came off very self-assured, you know, very, what's it, laconic. You know, teenagers can be intimidating. I know I'm even intimidated by them sometimes. I didn't get advice like, hey, you know, save your money, kid, or whatever the Mm -hmm. advice. So I don't remember when I was starting to work. It was more the the grown-ups in my life were sort of just showed by example and how what it's like to be creative and inventive and alive and enthusiastic. So Karen and my dad, they both had a sense of enthusiasm for what they did. And I felt that was something I was trying to cultivate in myself and failing when I was younger, like not being enthusiastic I was so because I was so um, melancholy girl you weren't enthusiastic as I said I was kind of brooding but that's it's all just muzzled you know you discover your true self over and over and my truest self is is a live wire who really loves people and loves life and you know what I mean I it was sort of that that was a bit blunted at that age when you're starting out did you know what you wanted? I knew that I was a creative personality or person because I lived in my head a lot. So that much I knew. I I daydreamed a lot and I I imagined uh people's lives a lot. Uh, different. I would just look at a person, I'd look at every detail about them, how they walked how their expression was, the shoes they were wearing, this and that, very young. And I would imagine their love life, what their apartment smelled like, you know, just like really detailed. And that, I don't know why I did that, but it was a joy for me. And so, and then there's other things of just fantastical things like school. If I was bored, I have this funny thing when I was like eight where I was, had a crush on a boy and I, I was going to sing the Olivia Newton-John part of Grease. Mm. And I was sure in my mind when I was preparing that he would know his cue and the whole school would end up singing, we go together like shaman, lemon, lemon, dong. I thought, and I pictured it as I was getting ready that morning. Now, mind you, I was seven or eight 
and I would have these reality shifts. So my point is my imagination was that vivid. So later as I realized, oh, your imagination isn't always going to be reality. And you it's were not- imagining things as story beats. Yes. <laughs> And sometimes maybe it's it could be disassociative or like to get out of totally something. Is. Are you kidding? <laughs> and I'm saying that because I am like this. Yes. There's a story that my friend likes to tell and embarrass me. I'll give it a bridge version. Hmm. Uh, it's in college. It's a house party. There's maybe 150 people. It felt like there was a thousand people. But yes. it was probably like it was it was a big party, and yeah. I was playing the music of it. And. It's like maybe one in the morning. It's in San Francisco where I went to college. And all of a sudden we hear a ding dong and everyone goes quiet. And it's the cops outside. And no one wants to go out there. And I'm like, okay, I'll go out there. I'll go talk to them. I'm drunk. I mean, let's be honest. I'll do it. I'm drunk. I know what to do. But I know how to do that. I can bullshit my way through it. So I go out there. I bullshit my way through it. I tell him it's a small gathering. Someone's leaving town. Doesn't really matter. The cop goes away. There's nothing they can really do anyway. Everyone's above 18. Okay. And then as they leave, (laughs) I realize the music is off and all the dancing has stopped and the vibe has been destroyed. So I text my friend and I say, when I come back in, I'm going to say, the cops are gone. And you're going to press play on the music and everyone's going to start dancing. It's all going to return. It's like the Peanuts gang. I was creating a whole scene. Yes. Nonsense. And I go in and I say, the cops are gone. And everyone goes, yeah. And then 30 seconds pass because he couldn't get it to play. Oh, my God. The music doesn't do it. My point is, I think people who want to tell stories... Do it in their day-to-day life yes. in any place where they can, yeah. even when it makes no sense to do so. Yes. And it's also these funny things that I'm learning. You still fucking learn about your childhood in your mid-40s and probably forever. Um, I think it's an eternal thing. It's an eternal thing. No, no, no. Being a creative, are you kidding? If you're into spirit energy at all, you came into this life with this juggernaut of whatever you are. But there's these things that cultivate it. So what I'm saying is this: sometimes these creative mechanisms that are now like, yeah, it's made me my livelihood and I developed a talent were survival mechanisms. <laughs> you know, because, yes, I went through being hungry and poverty and bullying and did bullying and, you know, and all the things we grow up through childhood. And and uh, so these survival mechanisms are hilarious. You know, your mother married three times. Yes. Father married four times. Go on. My mother married four times. What? My father married three times. What? Hello? <laughs> I could tell the first so rare the first part of the question you're like oh fuck he's gonna talk to me about this oh no and then I brought up my own yeah and you're like oh thank God well it's just kind of <laughs> matter of fact because I'm like yeah those are my parents I like I don't even know what to think about it because they just liked marrying because they weren't off and running around mm-hmm. you know or before me they might have been in their youth oh my gosh that's really interesting so it's something I'm processing especially mm-hmm. in my twenties yeah. When you're in your 20s and you're falling in and out of love with whoever you're dating, what is your concept of like a relationship at that point? I know. Isn't it interesting? I'll tell you one funny thing that my sister and I talk about. We're like, this is very much from our childhood. We are friends for the most part with exes. Like, so her first. Um, she, they weren't married, but the father of my two nieces, he's like her brother. Mm-hmm. He's our family. And then she has a husband now. Similarly, my ex-husband, which is an odd thing to say, we were both 26, married three years. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like family. It's not like we talk all the time or see each other, but he's like a, my brother. And that was very much my mom and dad's relationship. They were more like siblings and we never knew them together because they were split when I was two. 
So, um, mine split before I was one. Yeah, yeah. So I've never known them together. So it's just like whatever their relationship was fairly jovial. There's probably financial stresses there. This is the constant journey is this. Oh, gosh, there's so many great self-help books that talk about it. But like you attract this thing or like something I forgot. God, um, I'm going to butcher the quote but what you're supposed to learn or something. So even my my guy, we've been together four years. I want to be with him for much longer as he de- does he. But we're, you know, you just learn how to care for each other. And you both have your reactivity that's stored from childhood. It's an interesting dance. Mm-hmm. You have a lyric uh, in a song that you wrote. Yeah. Been around the block once, twice, maybe more. Never met a hungry fool I couldn't learn to adore. Hello. Can we, can I tell the viewers, there's no viewers at home. I'm using all this freaking archaic language. The listeners, you did your thing. Because I'll do these interviews and they'll look at the freaking Wikipedia, which I couldn't even change to save my life. You know, there's untruths there, but you're like, ugh, I give up. Internet, you're an idiot. But I, if you ever want to know me, it's, there's some stuff in there. Lyrics sometimes are just for fun and shits mm-hmm. and giggles and rhymes and this. But that there's some that are really personal. But yes, I love this song. <laughs> People say... You got a lot to learn, that's okay Complicate things when you're young The man around the corner likes to roll his dice Just for fun, he says, take it easy, babe He's not the only one When all the light starts to yellow and fade See you in the middle And all the love we made I'm your girl And you're my man It's just an illusion Yes, I know This song is really special Because in, in, when we would do it live I would get everyone to sing at the end because we, I say, it's just an illusion. Um, the last lyric is, it's just an illusion, this I know. The song's called This I Know, everybody. Mm-hmm. Everybody, not everybody. The song is just called This I Know. Um, but uh, I get everyone to sing illusion together, and it's so beautiful. I love the song uh, because it's the kind of song that one can only write uh, being on the other side of something. And, and when I re- read it, I, I'm thinking about when you've been around Easy Street, you carry your nightmares, so you'll take the heat. Some are lonely, so they fight your wars. And, and you know, coming out of that patch of years in, in 95, 96, yeah. it's a painful time as you get sober. How did you get through that period? Oh, so many things. But I'm still getting, I just didn't like that. I, some interviews I like keep going back. It's so long ago to me. Um, Cause now what I'm having to deal with is mortality and death. And the big joke of as you age is like, wow, you could only wish of your younger problems. They got nothing on, right. on midlife and, <laughs> you know, feeding your dad when he's older. And so this all sounds like a breeze. Yeah. I mean, no, it wasn't. It was the hardest thing ever. And and I and people that go through it, it's, you know, you need your support systems and that you we now learn. But I have other things that I have to manage now, you know, don't isolate. And I lost my dad three years ago, and that this literally made me the little bird when it's the sky is falling, you know, that book? Because I literally, he's a little, I think he's looking, someone knows the book. The sky is falling. I forgot why he says that. But I hadn't 
come up through the, the experience of death. So I want to read more books on it of the acceptance of that with grace and still being of service to others and how to deal with that. Because I feel things, and that was the problem then earlier on when you're self-indicating, is feeling things so deeply. And it's what makes me do what I do so strongly. But in life, it can be hard. You know, I've gone to doctors being like, you know, or read, you go on a WebMD because yeah. sometimes... I've done a shoot where my whole body is in pain or I'm stressed and I'm having because I carry things physically. And then I'll be like, oh, your blood works back. You're you're in perfect health. <laughs> and I'm like, fuck, what's what's the answer? And it's only spirit, you know, energy and managing your mental health, stress and all this stuff. So uh, to answer your question, yeah, I don't like to keep going back to that time because there's so many important journeys. I've been journeys, lessons I've been learning of late, and one is that it's people, you know, the unfairness of life. I just lost a friend to cancer, and she was had it for four years and fought a great fight. And it's just unfair. She's my age, you know what I mean, and a mother. And um, we went to the service. This is a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I was asked to sing, and it's impossible I'm like, your logic self is like, oh, no, that's impossible. I'll be weeping. Thank you. The other nice spiritual self is to go, I want to show up for you. I'm going to sing this little song about the sunny side of the street to to hopefully bring, you know, love in the room. And I sang sunny side of the street in between tears. How did you do it? Well... I know, it was wild. I'm coming off of that wave because I was like, I just want to show up more for people. I get in my own head. But um, anyway, every other day, every other week, you're like, what's the meaning of life? And this nebulous, wait, nebulous, um, silly this phrase of, I want to make people happy. Okay, well, I want to make people <laughs> Yeah, so I'd like to be happy, but beside that, I really want to make... Others feel a sense of mm -hmm. peace or joy. So we can do that daily. We can in little, little wee ways. So um, It may be easier to make other yeah. people happy I know. than yourself. There happy. it is. And But that, in turn, the fact that I could sing this little song and it gave something to this beautiful service, I was happy that, that I could do something because death is flattening. It's horrible to deal with. But yeah, how did I do it? I stood up there, cried, said one minute, let's pause. We're going to do this <laughs> to everyone. I was like, we're going to get through this. And then I sang the little song. I only know two songs a cappella, and that's, that's one of them, and it's kind of sweet. Was performing with your band helpful in this way? Uh, oh, yeah. Again, the how did you get through it question Every year, how are you getting through it? How are you getting through it? How are you getting? How do you not look back with regret and loss and like, man, I fucked up? Like, it's not. It's all going down the way it's supposed to be. You know how you learn those things? It's all happening the way it's supposed to. Okay, what does that mean? I say that all the yes. time. Yes, but I also don't know Resent if it's it? true. No, <laughs> I think it's like it all goes. The idea that it all goes the way it's supposed to. No. Is is like a thing we say that's comforting. I think it just all goes the way it does. The way it does. It's not. I don't know if it's supposed to. It's supposed to yeah. We just say it's supposed to because otherwise it's like, oh god, this sort of random chaotic nature is so unsettling. Yes. I know you're a deeply spiritual person. It seems like that's what's on your mind right now. Yeah, and I'm really open because I get associated in the media, you know, to various things. Mm -hmm. My thing is I'm I make these funny statements, but one is I'm a believer of believing. I really think it's helpful to believe in in things. And so like I'm open what I have learned is group connection is helpful for me. Even when I like I, when I was done with my band and I went through being depressed, I was like What's happening? And I joined the workout group. I just 
mentioned earlier today, my beloved Barry's boot camp, years ago. And I, because I was like, what? Work out with other people? I couldn't even understand. You know, you just sort of are in your head and you like a good workout. But it forced me to be a runner. I actually needed to run. Because the depression came because I was I was doing this really expressive, incredibly aerobic, vigorous show five times a week for years. And then I stopped. Really intense. Yeah, really intense. Wonderfully, magically volatile. Yeah. I watched some clips this morning. I was like, I'm tired looking at this. Yeah. (laughs) I know. It was so weird. I wanted to make everybody in the room energized by my own energy. So, so, um, you like your, your goal is to energize and me watching. I'm like, I'm exhausted. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. So, yeah, the band was helpful. When you said, how did you get through everything? I was like, oh, I need to express. I can't sit in my cave and think dark thoughts. So you can synthesize or express that and turn over into light. It's really incredible. Songwriting was the song you just played. That reminds me of being in love. All my songs make me feel the feeling of what in love felt. When we would play those and Todd played a riff or Kimball or Womack, I would sing that song in my head. I would feel hopeful. I was like looking forward to the next time we were going to meet. It's creating, particularly with music, is like, is love. It's it's so incredible. So then when you bring it to people and then you all create that in a space, it's really profound. But I did have all those ups and downs because when I would go back to the bus and we'd be on to the next city, I always joked it was called The Lion and the Mouse. Mm. There must be a little another kid's book about the lion and the mouse, but these are my creative selves because I was like a little wee mouse in the back of my bus, so small. But on stage, it was such an, an expending of energy. Why were you small on the tour bus? I don't know. It's a... I feel like I like gave that much and I I would always have this feeling I just wanted to be held. Um, and I do go back to kids' books, but I see a little tiny mouse in the palm of someone's hand. And I wasn't in a relationship too, so that whole thing was like my world. It was my love. And then I felt alone afterward. So... Um, but to answer something, I'm so excited. I'm in the back of my mind. I'm like, because this group, the Licks, was the only thing. Like, we were really something together, even if I hungered for a different style of music or different things. Together, we created something. And so we might be doing that again. I'm figuring it out. Before we go, yeah. let's bring it to the present a little bit. Thank you. You talked about watching your father pass. Yeah. And, and the pain of that. On the other side of that, what conclusions did you come to? Yeah, it was so upsetting because before he passed, he was sick for a long time. He had Parkinson's dementia, and I watched his health deteriorate. And again, I felt it on a cellular level because not only we do connect through cells, that's my father, he was always representative of this really vital, virile all the masculine traits, he was funny, all these things. And I watched him, you know, where he could barely put sentences together and we all helped care for him. And at some point I had to feed, we fed him because he couldn't hold a spoon and all of that stuff. And I got really dark. That was, uh, this is my midlife. P.S. I wrote a script about it. No. (laughs) Great. (laughs) That is something I'm totally comfortable promoting. Let's do it. No, no. Um, Finally, this will be my passion project. I want to put it together. But it's an exaggeration of themes I went through. Finally, I could get to the other side because it was dark. I was obsessed with death and why and this and and what does it matter? And you're going to do this. You know, what do they call it when you're mad at uh, God or the universe? Um, Disillusioned. And then we banded together as a family and helped care for him in his later years. And then one day he went out, he had a heart attack. So that's thankful and that it was very quick. And it was over. And you walk around lost. 
And then it became life because I, again, have to believe. So my my head was speaking to me constantly, and I was thinking it was him. Anyway, it was a really magical time, and I try to carry that with me of looking for the beauty. I felt like he was showing me the beauty in everyday living that I wasn't seeing before. And whether I needed that, I just honestly think he was. I have so many wild signs. It was really, so I try to, every time we're, you know, you're in the grind of life, I try to go, wait, and then you'll just look at a leaf. I'm really into nature. A leaf, a pup, a smile, you know, a song, a thing, just step out, you know, just acknowledge it. Beauty, 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 you know. I think most people listening love would hear you talk about your father passing and then hear the term like magical and be surprised because it's not often how death is described. Mm-hmm. I know. I, I, gosh, I want to read more books about it of people who have died and came back, that whole thing or comas or what, what they have to say. I would love any books, anybody. Are they going to write in? Please tell me. Um, I've been looking for that. Because now my whole thing is like, what goes on after we're not here? You know, and that's the great catch twenty two, is someone can. Do you, do you have any guesses? I don't know. Um, there's a book called My Year of Magical Thinking. The Year of Magical Thinking. And then it was on a play. By, by Joan Didion. Yes. Yeah. I haven't read it, but there it is. Oh, it's something. It's, it's about as painful. Okay. As books get, I'm gonna say. Is, is there anything to do with the title? Does she come out where it's something like revelation? I Can't maybe huh. subtly. It's mostly her working through trauma. Yeah, I and mean, she had her child die early. She had her partner die suddenly. So there's the thing: is gratitude, gratitude. There's so many things. That was the one thing when I say magical is I literally the checkout guy at the guy or girl at the grocery store, we'd say, I lost my father. I found that every, and I was open to that connectivity. And you weren't before? Uh, no, I was before, but it became more communal because to know all these people walking around going through what I think is the hardest thing. How could anybody live through it? How can you endure? And to find everybody's going to go through it or has gone through things of that nature you know what I mean that just that was it was very communal if you could somehow step into a time machine yeah and tell young Juliet something like 18 year old Cape Fear Juliet something on the other side of all this what, what the hell would you say well because the you want to say the thing that wouldn't do anything you know stop thinking go outside um, you change your voice for that. <laughs> That's my inner voice. That's what it sounds like? No, sometimes. Maybe from the future to the past. Hey, you. No, I would say these things you can't say to somebody. Enjoy your life. Stop, you know, shut up. Um, that doesn't work. So what I would have said is learn an instrument. This is something I, I wish, because... You can express, you know, they talk all about, there's so many therapies, music therapy is one for people who are troubled and stuff. But I think that would have helped me and stop being so afraid of people and and just uh, try to, I would just try to make it a date. But anything, I don't know how you tell your younger self anything. It's so weird. Well, you don't. You don't, you can't. But there is a practice I have done now, you know, the good thing is time goes by, you do have experience and you're like, oh, shit, I've survived a few times when I thought I couldn't, right? So so when you're in a rut or you break up or you're hurt or this, I've done this trick where I go, okay, put yourself in 10 years from now. Be 10 years from now looking back. Mm-hmm. This is just going to be a moment in time. It won't be what it is right now. That helps me sometimes. The idea of aging gracefully yes. is something you're thinking about right now. Yeah. So let's go 10 years from now and oh. use this as a kind of time capsule. All right. What does it look like for you? What do you want it to look like? Oh, that's cute. Gardening. <laughs> more you know all that time 
with nature, but not alone. Maybe my guy. Um, his kids will be grown. Maybe a garage sale in 10 years. Us <laughs> older ladies. These are huge ambitions right now. <laughs> you want a garage <laughs> sale? You want some gardening? Don't you love that I like downsized? Because that's what it is. Well, you just enjoy the little things. The whole dance at midlife and later is like, can I enjoy the little things? Do you have to be a showstopper? Especially creative folks. They always have to like, you know, I'm going to show them. Let's talk about when I was younger. You're like, what? Oh, yeah, you did ask a question. What's it? Um, did you know what you want? When you're a kid, sometimes it's as simple as I'll show them. You know, I had a them mm -hmm. that I wanted to fucking show who were mean to me when I was a teenager. And then the, the time I did something that would have shown them, I was like, who's them? What? I don't even know who they are. Yeah, I don't, I don't even care about them. So in the future, it's uh, gardening and health and uh, beautiful people in my life. Early on, you talked about, you know, finding your footing, getting these roles, making a career when you didn't even totally know a career was being built. And you said uh, something to the effect of, of not totally understanding your own self-worth. Like, why is this happening to me? What Normal questions. When good things happen to us, oftentimes most sane people will say, why the hell? How did this happen? Even if you yeah, think you're Yeah, and what worthy, does it mean? What yeah. does it mean? What do I do with it? Am I doing what I'm supposed to do? Yeah. So... I'm just curious now at 46, are you proud of what you've done? Yes. I can give you a definitive yes because it's important just it is it is to notice where you could have done better or had a better conversation or can you handle something a bit more gracefully? I think it's important to be, be mindful like that. Maybe some people aren't. But that's super important. It also is very important to validate when you've done something right or well or, yeah, I don't know. I listen to people who in airports and in the grocery store who <laughs> tell me about scenes that move them. I'm able to hear them. I can actually see them now and be like, holy shit wow, you received me, mm -hmm. and that's awesome. I'm not alone in my own dance or whatever. So, and in time, and how I've affected people, and I didn't know I, you know, in my goofy way I dressed or showed up with no makeup here and there or whatever, th little things like that, how women, because I, I grew you know, young women, they're constantly sexualized or minimized or whatever. So even my little stances early on showed someone a completer picture of young femalehood. Like, that's awesome to me. Isn't that incredible? As a kid, yeah. you spent your time looking around, imagining the lives of other people. You'd make up stories. <laughs> and now you actually hear them. Wow. Way to bring it back. Now I can be, yeah, a participant within those stories with other people. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I want to thank you for telling your story here today oh thank you so much this is really it's just one of my favorite interviews that ever happened thank you anytime so long bye our show special thanks this week to carlene donovan and chloe snyder juliet's latest performance is in sacred lies the singing bones it's available to stream right now on facebook watch also be sure to keep an eye out for her upcoming hbo limited series i know this much is true it will have its series premiere on april 27th if you'd like to learn more about Juliet, be sure to visit our site at www.talkeasypod.com. There on the website, you'll find a back catalog of episodes with a whole bunch of people you'll probably like, including Laura Dern, Gloria Steinem, 
Errol Morris, Kenneth Branagh, Morgan Parker, Allison Pill. If any of those folks sound interesting to you, you can find them on the site. And you can also find them on Spotify, Apple Music, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TalkEasyPod. And if you'd like to leave us an email, especially in these unusual times of ours, feel free to do so at TalkEasyPod at gmail.com. As always, this show would not be possible without our incredible team. Our executive producer is Chinixa Bravo. Our associate producer is Nikki Spina. Our editors are Andre Lynn and Catherine Owen. Our social media is by Deja Washington. Our photographer is Emma Mead. Our music is by Dylan Peck and Jin Sang. Illustrations by Krishna Shenoy. Design by Ian Jones. Our engineer is Tim Moore, and we tape out of York Recording here in Los Angeles, California. And finally, the show is produced by Caroline Reebok. I'm Sam Fragoso. Thank you for making Talk Easy part of your week. I know it is a scary an unnerving time and we are going to do our best to keep moving forward and to keep having conversations that are good for the heart and soul especially right now so i'll see you back here next sunday until then have a good week everyone The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored amongst some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side-by-side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at NerdWallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter.